morning, church. Good morning. Good morning. Today's reading is John 14, 15 through 31. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have, been, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that it, when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. These are the words of our Lord. Good morning. Good morning. You guys doing well? Outstanding, good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. I also wanna welcome those of you that are on YouTube Live right now. Thank you for joining us. If uh, those of you on YouTube Live would like to grab some bread and, or crackers and some juice, we're gonna be taking communion a little bit later on. We'd love for you to join us. Believe is our current teaching series, working through our way, our way through the gospel according to John. And uh, the title of this weekend's message is The Promised Holy Spirit. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 14. We just read verses 15 through 31. Also grab your sermon notes out. You can follow along. On the night before Jesus dies, 
He prepares his disciples, John chapters 13 through 17. He prepares his disciples for the quest. He will be sending them on where they will face trouble, terrible trouble. They're going to be tortured and face martyrdom. And it, he tells us two times in John chapter 14, that's the chapter we're in, tells them to not let your hearts be troubled. Twice he says that. And that, those would be words for us also. Let not your hearts be troubled. You're going to face troubling times. We would all agree that we live in some troubling times. And so whatever troubling times you may be facing, he's saying, don't let your hearts be troubled. That's on you. Because I'm giving you plenty of resources so that they don't need to be troubled. In fact, we talked about this last week, the first four of these resources. He's giving us, he's giving them the gifts of hope, salvation, knowing God in prayer. And now we add to that list one more, the promised Holy Spirit. I, I love this gift. It's probably, it's probably one of my favorites because all the other first four are no good unless we have the Holy Spirit in our lives. In fact, look at your sermon notes there. There are a lot of churches in the world as it relates to the Holy Spirit, a lot of churches in the world that only want to talk about spiritual experience. Just think about that for a minute. And what happens is that leads to kind of un an untethered emotionalism. We're not against emotions here, but we are against untethered emotionalism, unfounded emotionalism. And that's what often happens when we emphasize experience, experience, experience to the exclusion of doctrine. Then on the other hand, there are a lot of churches that absolutely are afraid of the subject of experiences or the Holy Spirit and just want to talk about doctrine. What happens there? When you just emphasize doctrine over the Holy Spirit, it becomes just dead orthodoxy, dead religion. So the remedy to this imbalance is the doctrine of the Holy Spirit because the deeper you go into the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, the more you realize that the Spirit and truth are inseparable. Case in point, John chapter 4, verses 23 through 24, God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in what? Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. They go hand in hand. So three questions we're looking at here that I believe this text answers for us as it relates to the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? And how can we experience the Holy Spirit in our lives? So who's the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? How can we experience the Holy Spirit? Let's take that first one. Here's your first fill in the blank on your notes. Who is the Holy Spirit? Another, another counselor, another helper. That's from the text. Another helper. Look at verse 16. Keep your Bibles open. You can follow along. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. The word another, in essence, what Jesus is saying is that just as I was with you, he will be with you. Another helper. Helper is a Greek, the Greek word there is parakolitos, and you break that word down, para means called alongside, litos means to help. It really has the idea when you study that word of both love and truth, comfort, and conviction. This is what the Holy Spirit provides for us. In fact, I think what he's wanting us to understand through using this um, 
title for the Holy Spirit, another helper, is that no suffering can overwhelm you. Why? Because we have His comfort and we have His love to support us. And no temptation, no sin can overtake you. Why? Because we have His truth and conviction. So no suffering can overwhelm you, no sin can overtake you because you have the promised Holy Spirit. That's what he's wanting them to understand. Now, let's try to understand this by looking at some other verses. Look at verse 17c. He says, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. That's pretty profound. So he's not only with you right now, but he will be in you. He will dwell in you. Now, as we continue our way through the Gospel of John, well, eventually we'll get to uh, chapter 16, and in about three weeks we'll study again about the Holy Spirit. So this weekend we're talking about the promised Holy Spirit. That weekend we'll talk about the work of the Holy Spirit. So we'll dive into it a little bit more. I'll talk certainly about the work of the Holy Spirit, but there we'll talk more about the work of the Holy Spirit. But look at John 16, 7. If you have your Bibles open, you can just turn a page or two over. And this is what Jesus says about the promised Holy Spirit. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. So if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Now, can you imagine what it would have been like to walk around with the all-knowing, miracle-working God of the universe? That would have been amazing. I would love to have been there, have a front row seat to watch Jesus, the God of the galaxies, do what he did, say what he said. That would be amazing. But then, to have him tell you not to be sad over my departure because it was for your advantage. Don't be sad because I need to go away so I can send you the Holy Spirit, and oh, by the way, this is to your advantage. So, so listen to this. Jesus is telling his disciples that his presence in them will be better than his presence beside them. Does that sound crazy? I think he's telling us a little bit about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So let me ask you this question. Do you consider your connection with the Holy Spirit so strong and real that you regard his presence in you to be a better advantage than even Jesus himself beside you? That's what he's saying. That's, his, that's what he's promising. And if you begin to understand that, live in the reality of that, no no suffering can overwhelm you. No sin can overtake you if you really understand what he provides for you. That's the first understanding of who is the Holy Spirit. Here's the next one. Write down in your, on your notes there, personal relationship. When you think of the Holy Spirit, think of personal relationship. Look at verse 17b. It says, whom the world cannot receive, talking about the Holy Spirit, another helper, the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. That's kind of synonymous there. He's actually using sensory language. Remember what we talked about last week, knowing him, seeing him? It's more than just knowing about him. It's truly experiencing him in our heart. It's where truth goes from our head down into our heart. That's what he's alluding to here. Sees him, neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, 
for he dwells with you and will be in you. Notice he keeps referring to the Holy Spirit as a him, him. So the Holy Spirit is not an it or an energy or a force. He is a person. He is a person. So Christianity is more than a set of beliefs you adhere to or a lifestyle that you conform to. God wants to be vitally and personally present in and through our lives, through the Holy Spirit. Now, I put on your cross-references there on your notes the book of Acts. So we're going to read completely through the book of Acts this morning. Okay, we don't have enough time, but you can do that on your own. But, but let me just kind of give you a summary of the book of Acts, because the book of Acts shows us how God wants to work in our life through the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember the book of Acts is about the, really the, the Acts, it says the Acts of the Apostles, actually it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And it's when the Holy Spirit comes upon God's people, in fact Jesus post-resurrection says I want you to hang out in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you and then you will be my witnesses. He will empower you, he will direct you, he will lead you. And so he, he talks about that, but this is what's fascinating about the book of the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the story of the disciples being led, filled, empowered by the Spirit and trying to keep up with, with the Spirit like a kite in a hurricane. It's an amazing book. It's a beautiful book. The Holy Spirit shows up 59 times in the book of Acts, more than twice per chapter, and in nearly 40 of those times, He is speaking. So the God of the Bible is a God who wants to interact with us, to speak to us, to comfort us, to convict us, to lead us, to empower us, that we could experience Him, we could interact with Him, we could have a personal relationship with Him. The Bible's real clear about that. Here's the third thing. Who is the Holy Spirit? Another helper, personal relationship, third person of the triune God. Third person of the triune God. This is important. I'll just give you a quick lesson in... uh, on the doctrine of the Trinity here, I think it's important. Look at verse 18. Notice what Jesus says. Now, you might miss this if you read too fast. Verse 18, Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Wait a minute, you said you're going to leave us. You're going to send the Holy Spirit. Exactly, but I will come to you. Come to us how? Through the Holy Spirit. He's almost like he's saying the Holy Spirit and Jesus, so when the Holy Spirit shows up, Jesus is there too. In fact, look at verse 23. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him. Who's the we? The Father and the Son. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Wait a minute, I thought you were talking about the Holy Spirit. No, he's talking about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So anytime we're interacting with the Father, anytime we're interacting with the Spirit, we're interacting with the Son and the Father. That's the doctrine. What he's getting across here is the doctrine of the Trinity. John chapter 14, verses 9 through 11. This is what we read last weekend. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. He's talking about the oneness. We're one and the same in some regards. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. The words that I speak are the words of the Father. So, Most major cults and religions of our world today not only deny the deity of Jesus, obviously they're going to deny the Trinity, and Trinity is a central Christian belief, the triune God. So this is, you've got to know this, you've got to memorize it. 
And you've got to be able to defend it as a believer. And so here's the definition of what the Trinity is. God, it, it means this, Trinity. So when someone says, what is the Trinity? It means this, that God is one in essence and three in person. So if they say, what is the Trinity? God is one in essence, three in person. It's not a contradiction, though it is a paradox. Our brains, are, our brains are too small to really fully comprehend this part of who God is. And I love it. He's a mystery. He's beyond our wildest dreams. He's way beyond us. And so that's an important Christian doctrine for a number of reasons. I'll give you just a couple here in, in just a moment. But so think about that. So the Trinity is God is one in essence, three in person. Turn to the person next to you and just say that to them, just kind of so that you, you got that down. The definition of the Trinity is God is one in essence, three in person. One in essence, three in person. Okay, so there are three parts to this definition of the Trinity. There are three parts to the doctrine of the Trinity. Here's the first part, there is one God. There is one God. Second part, God is three persons. Third part, each person is fully God. Like I said, it's not a contradiction, it's a paradox, and it brings mystery. Now, now why is this an important doctrine? I'll just give you three quick reasons. I can't expound on it this morning, but here's one. It helps us to understand how there can be unity in diversity. It shows us that. But most importantly, it shows us that loving relationships is the essence of reality from all eternity. See, if God was unipersonal, he wouldn't have love and relationship until he created us. So he would, have, he would need us for relationship and love, but he didn't need us because he's already had love and relationship for all eternity within the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it also tells us this, that it shows us that God didn't cre create us to get joy from us, but to give joy to us. He already had all the joy he will ever need within the triune God for all eternity. And so he invites us. He created us so that we would know him and experience him in our life, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's amazing. It's breathtaking. It's beautiful. Now, Matthew 28, 19 gives us the idea of the Trinity, where it talks about the Great Commission. You guys remember this? Go into all the world, preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name. Notice name. It's not names, but in the name. God is one in essence, but three in person. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One in essence, three in person. In fact, when you study Scripture, all three persons of the Godhead are involved in creation, Genesis 1, and they're also involved in our salvation. This is how they're involved in our salvation. The Father appointed our salvation, the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, accomplished it, and the Holy Spirit applies it to our lives. That's how He works. Okay, enough said. Who's the Holy Spirit? Another, another helper, personal relationship, third person of the Trinity. So what does the Holy Spirit do? I think He gives us some good insight into that right here in this text. Here's the first thing. Never leave you or forsake you. This is what he will do. He will never leave you or forsake you. I don't know if you caught this, verse 16c, the, the, the helper, he will be with you forever. You hear the emphasis that Jesus makes? <laughs> the one 
called alongside to help you, will be with you forever. So I was thinking about all the different texts in the Bible that talks about him being with us forever, and this is what came to mind, Hebrews 13, five through six. This is what the writer says, keep yourselves free from the love of money, because he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Therefore, we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? That's a great verse. Actually, a couple of verses there. It's beautiful. So think about this. He will never leave you or forsake you. If you have put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit has come to dwell within you, and He will never leave you or forsake you. Reflect on that just for a moment. He will never leave you or forsake you. What difference would this make in in my life if I really believe this? Go back through the verse. Keep yourselves free from the love of money. I mean, we chase anything and everything in our world, don't we? We actually, and and money would be kind of a, certainly probably one of our number one counterfeit gods here in our culture. He says, man, don't chase that. You have the presence of God. In fact, we shouldn't be chasing anything other than God. We should be looking to Him. That's what He's saying. That's the point that He's saying. And that should be contentment. So that would be the first thing. If I actually believe that, I would be content. There would be a contentment in my life. And I would not love anything more than I love God because of the contentment that I have in Him. Because He has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Well, if I actually believe that, what does that mean? He'll never leave me? But notice the emphasis. In fact, if you read this in the Greek, it says, I will never, ever, ever leave you or forsake you. Ever. That's an emphasis. He's like, he's trying to get the point across. I know that there's some here this weekend that are feeling all alone. I'm telling you, you're not alone. He's promised us. He will never, ever leave us. And then he emphasizes it even more. Or forsake you. That means, basically, he's always with us, and he's there to help us. But even when it gets tough, He's not going to cut and run. That's the point. I will never leave you or forsake you. Even when it gets tough, even when you think I'm nowhere to be found, I am still there, and I'm there to help you. That's why, why he's emphasized that. Therefore, it should be, bring contentment. It should bring calmness. And, and it should bring confidence because it's therefore we can say with confidence, yes, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. Courage. What can man do to me? So let me ask you some questions. Does God feel truly present in your life? Do you interact with him personally? Do you have a deep, satisfying relationship with God through the Holy Spirit on the basis of the finished work of Christ? You should. You can. Our problems in life are not our circumstances, nor our lack of information. Oftentimes when we go through hard times, we just think, oh man, if I could just have a change of circumstances, if I could just get a better job, better spouse. Some of you are afraid to laugh on that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been thinking of that lately. My spouse would just get 
her act together. I actually thought that for about 20 years. And uh, the Lord got a hold of my heart and goes, no, it's you, dude. It's, you're the problem here. Yeah, so we think it's, you know, better job, better spouse. How about better kids? How many would like to have better kids? Okay, two hands right there. <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank you for that honesty. I think I saw some hands over here. I did not see two hands over here. I saw two hands right there. And yeah, sometimes I'd go, yeah. Isn't that crazy? We think it would be better circumstances. Or we think we just don't have enough information. So another book, another podcast, another seminar will get me through. I just, I need more information. Here's our, here's our problem. Here's our problem right here. We need the truth that we already have made real to our heart. Because we don't believe that he will never leave us or forsake us. Because our behavior, our emotions, everything about us betray us. They reveal otherwise. I'm telling you, it would make all the difference in the world. I know that. I know that. He'll never leave me or forsake me. I quoted it. I shared it with some friends this last week that were going through a hard time. And yet, I've got all this negative emotions haunting me and harassing me. And it's obviously I'm not living in the reality of that. That's what we need more than anything. <laughs> we need to know that the truth, we need to have the truth that we know that is clear to our mind, real to our heart. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. He makes it real to our hearts. In fact, that takes us to the next point. He will teach and remind you. What does the Holy Spirit do? Never leave you or forsake you, and he'll teach and remind you. Look at verse 17a. Even the spirit of truth. There they go. Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. They go hand in hand. Verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. By the way, he won't bring to your remembrance what you've never studied, what he's never spoken to you. He'll bring to your remembrance what you have studied, what you've heard Jesus speak. That's why it's important to be in God's word. He can bring that to your remembrance at the appropriate time in your life. That's why we study God's word diligently week in and week out. I study God's word every day. And he brings those things to my remembrance at the appropriate time in my life as I'm responding to people and the things and circumstances of my life. Now, how does he do that? Well, here's an example, Romans 8, 15 through 16. Kind of helps us to understand that. Romans 8, 15 through 16, for God has not given us a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. That's for those of us that are believers in Christ. So think about that. He's not given you a spirit of slavery. Why are you feeling enslaved? Why are you enslaved? To fall back into fear. You don't need to be afraid. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, we're his kids. So, so what we have to do is when we're going through difficulties, we've got to kind of think that out a little bit and allow the Holy Spirit to, to light that logic on fire in our hearts. We've got to say, wait a minute, who's God? Okay, he's the creator and sustainer of the heavens and earth. What has he done? He sent his son to rescue me and he's put his Holy Spirit within me. Okay, okay, who am I in light of that? I'm his child. He's gonna take care of me. He loves me. He's gonna provide for me. He's gonna protect me. He's gonna lead me. He's gonna guide me. Okay, so what difference would all of that make in my current circumstances? 
See, that's how you begin to walk that out. In fact, it goes on, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption as sons by, by who we cry, Abba, Father. Notice verse 16. His spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So here's what I do regularly. I start my day with the Lord. And sometimes when I start my day, I've already got some chaos and craziness going on in my heart and my mind. And so what I need to hear desperately in the morning and even throughout the day, sometimes I just like, I'm confused, I'm trying to navigate this, this is stressing me out, I'm not responding to this situation really well. The Holy Spirit begins to show that to me. And I need those moments in my life where I hear the Holy Spirit speaking to me You are my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. You have everything you need in me. It's going to be okay. You're a child of God, and that being a child of God has to be more real to me than the crisis at hand, at the criticism that's being launched towards me, anything that I'm facing. I've got to have that sense where you're hearing him speak to you. Now, here's the crazy thing. We live in a crazy, wild, out-of-control, confusing, distracting world, social media, TV, you know, YouTube, all of this stuff. There's so many distractions. The volume is so loud, it's a wonder we can ever hear his still, small voice within our heart. So what we have to do is that, and we're going to talk more about it later on, is that we've got to be still and know that he's God. Psalm 4610. I mean, I can even sit and have my devotional time with God and making a list of all the things I have to do that day and not be focusing in on Him and interacting with Him and having relationship with Him and allowing Him to speak to me, to help me navigate the issues of my life. So here's the difference between a weak, immature, always limping along Christian and a strong, mature, thriving Christian. Here's the difference. The truth he knows in his head becomes more and more real to his heart through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's that strong Christian. So, so you're spending time with God and you're allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And those, those truths never leave you or forsake you. It's not just a concept. It's a reality. And you live in, in, in the midst of that. So let me ask you this, these questions. Why, why would you ever feel condemned? If you're a believer in Christ, why would you ever feel condemned? Because Christ's forgiveness is not real to you. Why would you ever feel afraid? Because Christ's love is not real to you. Why would you ever feel all alone? Because Christ's presence isn't real to you. You're never alone. Why would you ever feel devastated by the disapproval of people? Because Christ's approval of you is not real to you. So he teaches us, he reminds us. So he'll never leave us or forsake us. He teaches us and he reminds us. But we got to be still enough and look to him and allow him to speak to our hearts. Here's the next one. He will give you peace unlike the world gives. Now here's what's fascinating about the peace that the world gives. And let me read the text and we'll talk about it. Verses 27 through 28, I love these verses. These are great verses. In fact, these would be great memory verses, especially if you have a lot of anxiety in your life. 
a lot of worry. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Now, why would he say that? Because here's how the world deals with this. There's a lot of articles and books out there on anxiety, but, but if you look at them, they're typically always dealing with the symptoms of anxiety. Well, you need to... You need to eat better. You need to get more rest at night. You need to start exercising. You need to, those are, that's all symptomatic. No, there's a root issue in our life. And the Bible deals with that root issue. So the, so the world deals with it and just deals with the symptoms of our anxious life. Jesus is saying, no, I cut to the chase. I get right down, down to the heart of things. I'm gonna give you a peace. It doesn't matter what's going on. You're gonna find peace and rest and joy and contentment and courage and confidence in me. So he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Second time he says that in this chapter because we can feel pretty troubled over the trouble that we're going through. He says, you don't need to. You don't need to. Neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you. Now here's the key right here. So, so what, what does that mean? He's going to give us peace. What's well, actually... A, another work of the Holy Spirit. I am going away and I will come to you. Wait a minute, you're going to go away and then you're going to come to us. What do you, what do you mean by that? No, you're, he's actually going away, but he's going to come to them in the Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit that will give you peace. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father for the Father is greater than I. So, so think of the different verses that come to mind. What are your go-to passages when you're having anxiety in your life? Here's one. It's Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. Remember the verse 7? It says, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Just curious, how many have ever experienced that before? That when all chaos was breaking out in your life, there was a lot of confusion, that you had a peace that goes beyond understanding. That's what that means. It's just like, whoa, I don't know why I'm peaceful right now, but I know that the Holy Spirit is working and He's guarding my heart and mind. The word guard means garrison. It's like He's going to protect it. So we've got to talk a little bit about this because this is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Actually, it says that verse is preceded by, don't be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. What are you anxious about? Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So that, there's a promise there, but the premise to the promise is don't be anxious, get a grip on your anxiety, Bring your request to God. So he says, don't be anxious, but bring your request to God. Give them to Him. Turn them over to Him. He uses words like prayer generally. Supplication is giving your list to God, saying, God, this is what I'm struggling over. This is what's going on in my life. And then thanksgiving, God, they're in your hands. I know you're going to take care of them for me. I love you. I worship you. And so there's almost this turning it over to Him and giving them to Him and then resting God, they're in your hands. That's where we have a hard time. Now, there's another great verse that I love, Isaiah 26, 3. Keep, you keep him in perfect peace. Perfect peace? I'd be okay with just peace. He's saying perfect peace. Okay, I'll take that one. Perfect peace. Whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. So it seems that your mind stayed on him and trusting God are one and the same. It gives us perfect peace. He goes on, Isaiah 26, 4, trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Build your life on him. So there's this keeping your mind on God 
and trusting Him are one and the same thing. So, so what is it? What, what's going on here? How, do I, how can I experience that peace? Well, peace is not the absence of problems, but the presence of Christ. Here's a definition for peace. Peace is confidence and rest in God's loving, wise control over your life. So, so here's, <clears throat> here's what you've got to do. As, you, as you're thinking and you bring these to God, you've got to go back to his character and say, wait, wait, wait. God, you're, you're perfect in love. You always have you always want what is best for me. You're perfect in love, but you're infinite in wisdom. You know what is best for me. You're also unlimited in power. You will always do what is best for me. So God, you always have my best interest at heart. I've turned this over to you. I'm gonna rest in you. Here it is, God. And I'm gonna keep my eyes on your character and you will never let me down. You'll always be there for me. So peace, the definition, peace is confidence and rest in God's loving, wise control over your life. The opposite would be anxiety and worry that God might not direct things as they should go. Counterfeit would be indifference, apathy, not caring. I had a gal tell me one time that my husband is so peaceful. I go, no, he isn't. He just doesn't give a rip. And, uh, but you touch something that really matters to him, and he will be anxious. And sure enough, she goes, yeah, you're right. I said, he's just apathetic. He doesn't really give a rip. No, he cares. No, he doesn't. Because you can see in his life, that's not peace. And so that's, that's kind of the difference. Okay, so what does he do? Never leave you or forsake you. Teach and remind you. Give you peace unlike the world gives. Here's the next one. How can we experience the Holy Spirit? This is important. Look at verses 21 through 24, a really great part of the text here. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, notice this, and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Now, he's going to go into more detail here, a really great explanation of how we can experience the Holy Spirit in our lives. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, so why would we love him? We love him because he first loved us, so he's pursued us with this preemptive love. We respond back in love, and then naturally, if we do that, then we will keep his word. We will interact with him. We will talk to him. He talks to us. We obey him. He will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him through the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and make our home with him. Oh, those are rich words of intimacy. He makes his home with us? Yeah. We have the Holy Spirit, also the Father and the Son, in our lives. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So the word manifest means, in the Greek, it means to show oneself, to disclose, or to make known. There's a difference between the omnipresence of God and the manifested presence of God. So God wants to make his presence known to you and to do for you what you can't do for yourself. So there's four marks of experiencing the Holy Spirit. There is a spectrum to experiencing the Holy Spirit. It's not all or nothing, but you can actually grow in each one of these. The more these things are true about you, the more you will experience the Holy Spirit in your life. 
Four things. This is what we're looking at. Here's the, here's the first one. People who are experiencing the Holy Spirit have a more sustained and steady discipline of Bible study and prayer. Look at verse 22, verses 22, uh, 23 and 24. If you love me, you will keep my word. How do we keep his word? We study his word. We interact with him through his word. John 14, 12 through 14, this is what we studied last week. It's all part of the context. He says, ask anything in my name and I will do it. Twice he says that. So we got God's word, we got prayer. Now, many people read their Bible and pray when they are in trouble. I think that's a good thing. Many people read their Bible and pray when they have time, but when they are short on time, they don't. Why? Because their Bible study and prayer life is more about getting things from God than being with God. So, we all need things from God in Bible study and prayer, but when being with Him is more important than getting from Him, believe me, you will begin to experience Him more and more in your life. You're just wanting to spend time with Him. Now, here's the next one, number two. The more consistent the Bible study and prayer, the more you will experience the Holy Spirit. It almost sounds like the first one, but it isn't. We'll, I'll explain that. Now, there can certainly be seasons of dryness in your prayer life. I've thought back on all the times that I've had dryness in my life. I think the most I've gone is maybe a, a month or so. I've known people that have gone years in dryness. I don't fully understand all of that, but you will have seasons of dryness. That's a fact. And there are times in the Christian life you must walk by faith and not by what? By sight, by your feelings. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Listen to what one pastor, uh, how he put it here. He said this, The Christian life is not a series of spine-tingling experiences, inner voices, and burning bushes. There are times when we must walk through dark, silent valleys by faith alone. Walking by faith often means staying the course when you can't see or feel anything and to suffer through times of dryness when you have nothing to cling to but the promises of God that will test your faith, but this is what you've got to do when you go through dry times. I've heard people say this, well, I'm not getting anything out of it anyway, so I'm just not going to do it anymore. Well, you certainly won't get anything out of it if you don't do it anymore. I mean, that just seems insane. You're, you're just going to get rid of the very thing that will give you an opportunity to truly experience God, though it's been a long season since you have. Well, don't do that. This is what you've got to do when you go through those dry seasons. You've got to do what the exiles, what he was challenging the exiles to do in Isaiah, or I'm sorry, Jeremiah 29. Remember Jeremiah 29, 11 we talked about last weekend? These people are exiles. They were conquered by an enemy country and drug off to, the, to another land. And he's saying, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. I'm still working. Yeah, you're going through a dry time. Yeah, this is horrible time. This is a difficult time. I'm still working. Oh, by the way, you need to seek me with all of your heart, and if you do, you will find me. That's 29.13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart, regardless of how it's feeling or how dark it gets. You've got to keep seeking God. I can't help but think that this weekend there are people in 
here that have like, oh my goodness, I, I gave up on pursuing God and all that. No, don't do that. Even through dark times, difficult times, dry times, keep pursuing Him. Keep pursuing Him. Keep looking to Him. Trust in Him with all of your heart. Look to Him. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. What does that mean? Proverbs 2, 1 through 5. Listen to what he says. Here should be your attitude. My son, if you receive my words, listen to all the verbs here. If you receive my words, treasure up my commandments with you. So memorize it, meditate on it, take it with you. Making your ear attentive to wisdom, inclining your heart to understand. God, I want to learn this. I want it so badly. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures. If you were told that in your backyard there was a billion dollars buried, you'd go out and buy a backhoe and not leave one rock unturned in your backyard. We've got something better than a billion dollars. We've got the very presence of God. We've got him working in our lives. That's what he's saying. He's saying, search for it as for hidden treasures. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find intimacy with God or the knowledge of God. See, the more often that you don't just study your Bible and say your prayers, but that you actually meet God in your Bible study and prayers, the more often you will experience God. I mean, I, first thing I have to do sometimes is just I got to get rid of all the noise, all the craziness. I just got to be quiet for a little bit. Be still and know that He is God. I know I've got a whole list of things I got to do today, but you know what? This is more important. If I don't connect with you right now, God, I'm shot. That's my attitude. So, God, I'm, I'm desperate for you. Please, please speak to me. I need you. I know that only you can satisfy the deepest longing of my heart. Please, Lord, please. I'm telling you, he will reveal himself to you. James 4, 8, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. You can experience his presence in your life, and there's nothing quite like it. I love his presence. I love God. I want you to love his presence. I want you to experience him in your life. I'm telling you, he will transform your life. Here's the next one. The more you experience the Holy Spirit, the more God's word will come alive to you. See, you get a sense that the Bible is a divine book. Psalm 119, 119.18, open my eyes so that I may see wonderful things from your word. I actually pray that regularly. I pray that for our weekend services. Open our eyes so that we can see wonderful things from your word. Psalm 119, 130, the unfolding of your words gives light. I mean, you, you see depths in, in the Bible. The Holy Spirit begins to reveal depths. No matter how often you come back to it, you see new things. I see so many new things when I study that I have to cut a lot of stuff out because this message this morning would be about two to three hours long. No, seriously. I mean, as I study, I just go, oh, wow, that's good. They need to know that. Oh, that's good too. Oh, that's really good. And by that time, I've got 100 pages worth of sermons, you know, worth of a sermon. So I just have to like, ah. I had someone just this last week. It was Kellen, our worship guy. Uh, he was, he's doing some teaching 
And as he was going through this text, he says, oh my goodness, the Holy Spirit, I mean, this came, this bounced off the page, this came after me on the page. And as we were talking, I said, that's the Holy Spirit, because it was really interesting and great, amazing insight that stirred his heart for Christ. That's how you know that God's speaking to you. Your appetite for him just begins to grow. And he be, you begin to read things in the text and it comes after you and you go, oh man, that's exactly what I needed today, right now, in this moment. And I go, God, thank you for loving me so much. Here's the last one. The more you experience the Holy Spirit, the more you will experience lasting change in your heart. Let me end with an illustration. And so... Let's just say you had a parent growing up say to you, you're worthless, you'll never amount to anything. Or maybe it wasn't a parent, maybe it was a teacher. And boy, that, that continues even to this day to haunt you, harass you, hammer you in so many different ways. And so they said that to you, and yet, though the Bible is packed full of promises and proclamations of God's love and plan for your life, you have still become bitter, driven to prove yourself, and it's destroying your life. Because there's something so deep-seated down deep in your heart. Now, let me just say, there are no quick-fix solutions to those past hurts. We all have past hurts. And just to be told that God loves you or just reading some self-help how-to book or just redoubling your efforts to try harder will not heal that wound deep in your heart. Here's what will heal that wound deep in your heart. Only a sustained study of God's word in prayer over time as you learn, as you learn how to apply the love and truth of God specifically to where your heart is most wounded through the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. So this isn't a shotgun approach aiming at everything and hitting nothing. It's like, it's like a rifle approach that there are gonna be times in your life where there's going to be these triggers. We've talked about it in the past. So you've, you've, these, something triggers this, these overwhelming thoughts and emotions. So you follow that trigger back to its origin. Why am I feeling this way? What's going on? Why would I snap, you know, want to bite his head off? Or what, why would I want to do this or that? Or any number of things. Why am I so stressed out when I'm driving? What's, that, what's going on there? Why am I responding? Why, why am I anxious? Why am I angry? Why am I depressed? It's, it's called emotional intelligence. And I'm telling you, God wants to speak to you and he wants to minister to you. But if you just blame shift and make excuses for all that stuff, he's not gonna be able to meet with you. You've gotta be open to this and let the Holy Spirit begin to speak to your heart. So you follow the triggers to overwhelming thoughts and emotions to their origin. Triggers are anything that sparks an intense emotional response regardless of your current mood. And overwhelming thoughts and emotions are revealing distinct parts of your soul that need care. So what's bothering you? What are you struggling over? You've got to take off, you know, take enough time in your day and just go, Ooh, Lord, meet with me right here. My anxiety is through the roof. I'm not sure what this is from. I don't know if it's something from the past that I've never dealt with or whatever it is, but God, I know that you can deal with it. And typically, it's some kind of lies that you believe, and you're trying to defend yourself and protect yourself in some crazy way. And the only way that you can overcome those lies is with the love and the truth of the gospel applied specifically to where your heart is most restless and anxious 
and angry and depressed and broken, and he can do that. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, and it's not a quick fix. You gotta continue to do that. Every time it raises its ugly head, he will meet you, and he will help you, and sometimes you even need to be in a small group where they help you to navigate that. Sometimes you need to even get counseling. Counseling can really be a good thing. They can help you to walk through that, to understand why you're responding the way you're responding, and allow the Holy Spirit to minister his healing salve to your heart. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And in time, this is what you will experience. You'll experience more of the fruit of the Holy Spirit regardless. Those things won't be triggers anymore. You'll respond with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness regardless of what's going on around you. Because they don't trigger that negative response anymore, those negative emotions, because you're walking in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit's healed you. And you can bring healing to those circumstances and the people in your life and the situations as a result of that. That's how he ministers to us. That's why it says in Philippians 2, 12 through 13, work out your salvation. Not work for it. We've got salvation. We've got to work out our salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. We're going to talk more about this, this fruitfulness that he wants to produce in our life next week. We've titled it Secrets of the Vine, John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. But let not your hearts be troubled, nor be afraid. That's what he says. I've given you the resources, the gifts of hope, salvation, knowing him, prayer, and the promised Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Let's, re, uh, let's prepare our hearts for communion this morning. Father God, thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit who indwells everyone who has put their faith in the costly and saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. We are grateful that your Holy Spirit will never leave us or forsake us and that he will teach and remind us of all that we have learned from your word and will give us a peace that the world can never give us. May our, our more sustained and steady discipline of Bible study and prayer give us a greater and greater experience of the Holy Spirit in our lives, bringing lasting change to our hearts. For your glory, in Jesus' beautiful name, and everyone said, amen. We've got three stations up here. Find your way up to one of the stations, grab both of the cups, and uh, bring them back to your seat, and then I will walk us through the process. Here's what I want you to be thinking about as you're grabbing the communion cups, is what is God speaking to you this morning? He's here. He wants to minister to you. What's bothering you? What's going on? What are you stressed out about? What's depressing you? What's getting you worked up? God wants to meet you right there. He gave us the Holy Spirit through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We can know God. We can experience Him in our heart. He can heal our hearts. The one who names and numbers the stars can heal our broken heart and bind up our wounds. He loves us. No one loves us like him. And evidence of that is this communion. Just to remind us, just as we bask in the reality of his love for us, he died in our place for our sins to reconcile us to the Father so that we could be adopted into his family as his children, so we could be lavished with his love. 
so we could be empowered by his Holy Spirit. I've sent you another helper to be with you forever. It's amazing. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26, the Apostle Paul wrote, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes let's let's drink together so next weekend secrets of the vine fruit of the Holy Spirit how does how does he change our character what does that look like John 15, 1 through 11. At the end of the service here, I'll be up at front, up at the front here, along with any available elders or leaders. And if you're new, we would love to meet you. If you need prayer, we'd love to pray with you. If you have any questions, we'd love to answer those questions for you. My typical blessing at the end is even really a blessing of, man, experience God, know God. Numbers 6, 24 through 26. The Lord bless you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. He's talking about intimacy with God, relationship with God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord, I forgot what I was saying. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. Lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Believe me, you will experience peace when you interact with him face to face through the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray all these things in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. Amen. Love you guys. God bless you.